and we'll start with uh, we'll, we're going to continue with, uh, with the idea of uh, of Advent and Christ's Advent into the world, and we'd like to take for a, a thought this morning headship in Advent, headship in Advent. Now, I mean that's that's not something that we usually connect together, but I'm but I'm going to try to do that here this morning, and I would like to take. Primarily, our scripture reading is going to come from the third chapter of Genesis, but but before that, we're going to read in the in Luke chapter three in the last verse of that chapter, verse thirty eight, and this is the genealogy that Luke lays out in uh, in his gospel, and this would be the genealogy of Mary that is laid out. And what's interesting about the two genealogies that you find in the New Testament, in the genealogy that is in Matthew, uh, that is Joseph's genealogy directly from his father. Joseph was a direct descendant of David, and uh, and in you know you see the state of his family and the state of Joseph himself lying in poverty, and you can see how far Israel had gotten away from their royal line. And you know, you can, Joseph is uh, is is a perfect example of that, and and his runs through all the kings, and his the whole point and purpose of the genealogy that you find in the book of Matthew is to prove that Jesus is the kingly Messiah that they had been looking for. Not so much in Luke. Luke travels it all the way back to concluding in verse 38, when it starts off and it says, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. Which So the point and purpose of the genealogy in, in Matthew, as we stated, was to prove that he was the kingly Messiah. The point and purpose of the genealogy in Luke is to prove that he is the son of God. And so we get into this and we look and we consider this and, and you think about headship and what is headship? And let's define that, define that first and foremost. And, and it just simply means authority. And so to whom does the authority lie? Uh, and so we don't usually think about authority and admit and those two things going together, but they absolutely do. And we're going to explain why. And if you're here today and you're lost, it's important for you that you understand this because we're, as the human family, we're all under the headship of one or the other. And so we're going to get into the third chapter here of Genesis really quickly. And we're going to start the first night and we're not breaking any new ground here with Genesis chapter 3. And the serpent well, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree of the garden, of fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the 
she took the, of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them were opened. Uh, the eyes of them both were opened uh, and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together uh, and made themselves aprons. And when they heard the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day uh, and Adam and they and, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And, God, and the Lord God called out unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Or uh, let's say that in today's vernacular. Where are you, Adam? And if we were to use a subtitle today, that would be the subtitle, which is Where Are You? Right? So our, our primary working title is Headship in Advent. Uh, and our subtitle would be, Where Are You? Uh, and so you got to figure out who your head is, don't you? Who is, who is it that you have authority, who has the authority? Uh, because here we can read, uh, we can go back and we see there in Luke and we see here in Genesis, God had made Adam, uh, and God had made Adam in his own image. Uh, now, does that mean that God is in the form of man? I don't believe so because Christ plainly says that God is a spirit. And so what does it mean when he says, let us make man in our image? God made man upright and perfect without any fault or flaw. There was no sin in him. And in being that way, he was like God, wasn't he? There was no sin in him at all. There was none to be found. And so he gave man this commandment. He placed him in this paradise or this garden uh, in Eden, uh, and he gave him this one commandment and this one job, uh, and he was like, he, he was to be the pruner of the, of, the, of the garden, he was to take care of it, and so he had given him the work to do there, uh, but he said, here's the one tree that you're not allowed to eat of. Don't eat of it. That's the only rule. Most of us can hear that, and we can think, well, that's pretty easy, isn't it? But I mean, how many times have you been told something very simple and plain? Don't do this. Don't touch this hot stove or it's going to burn your hand. Well, usually they don't learn not to touch the hot stove, regardless of the warning, until they touch the hot stove, don't they? They learn a lesson that it's hot. <laughs> the warning was so that they wouldn't have to endure the hardship and the pain that comes along with touching the hot stove. And so God here is essentially said in the middle of the Garden of Eden, a hot stove, and he says, hey, don't eat of it. Don't touch this hot stove. Now they would have, if they were going to eat of the fruit of that tree, they would have had to touch it. <laughs> they would have had to pluck it off as we see her do. I've never seen anybody eat the fruit off a tree while it's still hanging on it. And what you find interesting in this is Adam is there and he's present with her. And I think most of us, when we hear this preached about or taught, we, t we tend to want to believe that Adam wasn't there when this happened. That he was somehow removed from Eve, and in his being removed from Eve, allowed her to be 
be tempted by the serpent, but he's obviously there because the Bible tells us he's there. And now if we look at Adam, we know that Adam was formed from the dust of the earth and, and that he was an inanimate object until God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and then he became a living soul. Eve, on the other hand, was taken out of man, wasn't she? And so the commandment that God gave to Adam was that he should not eat of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden of Eden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam, you are not to eat of this tree. Now, we notice here uh, that when the, ser- when the serpent comes to the woman, he doesn't go to Adam, does he? He comes to the woman, and this is not denigrating women or anything like that, but he comes to her, uh, and he starts to reason with her. And, he re- and, and, and she does not refute what God's commandment was. She actually backs it up. It's, de- it's the devil or the serpent that took the word of God and twisted it and contorted it to make it represent something that it never really represented, wasn't it? He said this. He said, you shall not, sure, you shall not, you shall not surely die in the fourth verse. And then he says, For God doth know in the day that ye eat thereof that your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods. And so God, here's what he did. He said, God doesn't want you to eat of the fruit of that tree because he wants you to remain in a state of ignorance. And he doesn't want you to have the knowledge of good and evil because the day that you have the knowledge of the good and evil, that's the day that you are as God. And you know what? In that day, you have no need of God anymore. And that's what that's what he's really saying there. And so here we get into this. And so Eve hears that and she looks at the tree and she sees that the fruit of it, well, there's nothing wrong with that fruit that it shouldn't be just as good as any of the fruit of the other trees in the garden. And so she takes of it and she eats it. And Adam's there. Adam made no attempt to stop her. But here's the quandary. Here's the quandary. If we go on down in this, if we go on down in this chapter a little bit, and Adam ate of that tree, and when he and when Adam ate of that tree, see, it's commonly believed that when Eve ate of that tree, that sin entered into the world. No, that's not true. Now, a lot of people that want to believe, they want to look at Adam and Eve and say they were equals there in the Garden of Eden. They were not. Adam had headship over Eve. And so if Adam had not eaten of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you can make an argument, a very strong argument, that as long as the headship remained sinless, then then that would have been enough to keep sin from entering in. That's the importance of why Adam ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I want to point this out here. And we're going to go down in a little bit in this chapter. Because I want you to see something. It wasn't the woman that was punished concerning the coming of Christ. It was the man 
who was punished concerning the coming of Christ. And so we go down here, and we read here, uh, and... Uh, and, and he asked the woman here in the 13th verse, uh, it says, And the Lord God said unto the woman, Who is this that has done, uh, that thou hast done? What is this that thou hast done? There, I'll spit it out here eventually. Uh, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Uh, and the New Testament backs that up and says, It was the woman who was deceived. That's why I do not that's why I don't believe that if only Eve had eaten of the fruit of the tree that sin wasn't going to necessarily enter into the world because Adam had headship. If Adam doesn't eat of it, it's when Adam eats of it that's when all of creation has spun out of control. And so we see here at the advent of Adam the headship of Adam, not only over Eve, but over all the beasts of the field, uh, over all the fishes in the sea, over all the creeping things that creep, all the fowls of the air. Adam gave them all their names. Why do we call things what we call them? Because that's what they have always been called. So we look at this here. She says, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. And upon thy belly thou shalt go, and dust shalt, shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Now do you see here? This is the first instance of the gospel being preached in the Bible, isn't it? Here in this verse right here, in verse 15, and God saying to the serpent, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. In other words, the, the very one that you deceived, I'm going to put enmity between you and her, and between thy seed, or your descendants, and her seed. That's the problem though, isn't it? There is no seed as it pertains to the woman. The seed lies in the man. So the man's removed <laughs> from it, isn't he? Why? Because he had headship over the woman. And the woman ate of the tree, but she was deceived. The man, as the, as the, new, as it, as the writers tell us in the New Testament, I believe it was Paul, where it says there that the woman was deceived, but the man was not deceived. Adam watched her pick it. Adam watched her eat it. He knew exactly where it came from, and he ate the fruit of that tree willingly. Big difference between being deceived into something and just willingly choosing to break the commandment. And that's what Adam did. And so when Adam willfully sinned against God, that's when all creation was stained. Thorns and briars sprout forth from the earth. The earth is cursed above everything. Why? Because of the sin of Adam. And you may say, well, I don't necessarily think you're telling me the truth right now, preacher. Well, you don't have to believe me. I don't try to preach what I believe. I try to preach what Scripture teaches. And so here, let's get into it. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man 
sin entered into the world. See there, it's not Eve. Uh, it wasn't whereby one by one woman that sin entered into the world. It was whereby one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so you see here, when Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, she did it because she was deceived and none of that had happened until Adam willfully ate it. And so why is it that, why headship and advent? Well, because the first time that headship and advent was put on earth, it was marred. <laughs> and what does that mean? It means it was made a mess of. <laughs> it was bludgeoned by Adam's disobedience. And so what does it say here? So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Why is that? Because by our nature, our headship rests in Adam. It rests in Adam. And so you can live your whole life. You can live your life. You can live a good moral life. And you can live your whole life. And you can die. And people can say, well, he was a good moral man. But if his headship is in Adam when he dies, then he dies and that's it. Now in parentheses we have this starting out. It says, "For until the law was, uh, for for until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, right? That word nevertheless means, well, that being acknowledged, never even so, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. You see, it's not that everybody has the same sin as Adam. Everybody's inclined to sin like Adam. It's natural. <laughs> that is our natural state. Uh, you can look at it in children. They come forth from the womb speaking lies. That's what the Bible tells us. I remember the first time that each of my daughters lied to me. The first time it was a shocker. I was like, well, she just lied to me. <laughs> you don't expect it from your own kids, do you? But they'll, they'll lie to your, they'll lie to your face just the same way that Adam looked at God and lied to his face. And he said, the woman that thou gavest me, Lord, to give me of the fruit to eat, of the tree to eat, and I didn't eat. No, Adam, you made the willful choice to eat of the fruit of the tree. See, Adam was trying to skirt responsibility for eating of the tree, wasn't he? And so here he says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him which is to come. So that Adam's transgression shows you that there is a need for a new head over the human family. Because Adam's wasn't Adam wasn't sufficient. Adam wasn't sufficient. But not as the but not as the offense. So also is the free gift. For it is it is through, for if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and by, and the gift by grace. If you're here today and you need to be saved, I'm going to tell you you're going to get saved by grace through faith and not of yourselves. 
you're going to get saved because it's the, it's the work of God, and it's the gift of God, and it's not of men, lest any man should boast. And so here, not a work of man. Christ did all the work hanging on the cross at Calvary. If you're here today and you're going to be saved, if your headship's going to be changed, it's going to be because you put your faith and trust, you repent of your sins, put your faith and you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to the salvation of your soul. It says, so. for if through the offense of one uh, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. We we touch the Bible, we touch on the headships uh, the headship aspect. This one gets really confusing sometimes. But I suffer not a woman to teach her to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, and then then Eve. <clears throat> and then here's the verse I've been referencing through this. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived, was in the transgression. So she was in the transgression, but sin entered in when Adam ate of the fruit of the tree. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. And so we get into a little more about the headship from the, from the headship aspect. Um, in ad, in, you know, we get into this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul touched on this, and starting in the 39th verse, he said, All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, and another fishes of men, and another of the birds. Uh, There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. And there is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. Yeah, isn't it amazing that this was written down so long ago, and people are just now learning about how each star has its own blueprint and fingerprint? But they knew back then that every star differed from another in glory. Each one's unique, each one's its own creation, just the same as you are unique from me. And I mean, Lily gets told this all the time, that she's unique because of some of the, the things that pertain to her. Uh, but uh, but each one of us are unique. None of us have fingerprints that match one another. That's why they can use it as an, a means of identification. Each one is its own, each person is their own unique creation in and of themselves. Its own miracle in and of itself, if you will. And so we look at this and we say, okay, we've got this miracle, we've got these bodies. It says, but they're not all the same. He says, so is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, meaning the natural body, and it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And a lot of Christianity rejects that teaching right there today, that there is a natural body and a spiritual body. That spiritual body that we'll have is not subject to time, space, or any of the things that pertains to those things. There's no time in heaven. Like the song 10,000 Years, 
We won't even know if it's been 10,000 years because it's eternity. <laughs> there, are, there is no time in eternity. That's why it's eternity. You know, isn't it amazing that one of the evidences that God is eternal is the fact that the only place that he can inhabit is eternity, meaning a place with no beginning and no end. And the only other place the scripture tells us that he resides is within the hearts of the contrite. Who are the contrite? Those that have gotten under, who have been convicted of their sin, of the sin that they have under the headship of Adam, those who have repented of that sin and they have made a change, no, not a change that they can do necessarily, but they have been recreated a new creature in Christ Jesus. And having done so, they have established a new head for their life. Now, what was the definition of headship? They have established a new authority for their life, haven't they? Have you ever thought about it like that? Christ is the authority of my life. That What He tells me to do, that's what I should do. If He tells me not to do something, I am, I am explicitly, uh, I explicitly should not do that thing, uh, and I should recognize Him as my King, uh, as the, the King over His kingdom, that I would obey Him and be found within His good graces at all times. Paul goes on in this first Corinthian letter and he says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. And here's the difference between the first Adam and the second Adam, because the second, the first Adam has to be taken away that the second Adam could be established. And he says, and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Uh, and so that's what has to happen within the construct of your life. Uh, and it's not something that you do in the figments of your imagination. It's it's not something that you just decide one day that you're going to accept. It is something that comes about with having, uh, with having compunction because of the contrition that God has set in your soul, uh, in your conscience for the sins committed in the flesh. And then you seek God for forgiveness and mercy and pardon. And once you attain it, then you know when you've passed from death unto life. You know when you have passed from the, from Adam being your king or being your head to Christ being your head. Why? Because the first man, Adam, was made a living soul, but in Adam all die, but in Christ all and we're going to touch on this in the 22nd verse of that same chapter. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Why is it that God sent Jesus down into the world? For God so loved the world. Let's make some, let's do some defining here. What does it mean when it says, for God so loved? For God, God had such a great love and compassion for His creation. Now I want you to think about this. The angels in heaven, they do not have a plan of redemption. We are greater than the angels in that respect. God loved us enough that He said, the angels who were in my presence rejected me. I'm going to create man who's going to be absent 
my presence. And God knew that, if, that man would eventually fall from the state of perfection. And that's where he was at. He was created upright and perfect. So I'm going to put a plan in place where man can be redeemed. And so God loved the world. And who's, who, who do we define as the world? Whosoever will. Right? Whosoever will believe shall be saved. And that's what, that's, that's, all, that's what, that's what you need to do today. Uh, but not believe just because I said so, but believe, truly believe down, down in the depths of your soul. Down in the depths of your soul. For God so loved the world. God so loved His creation that He took such great care and time to make sure that everything was in place, that everything that He would need was there, that before He ever created Him, uh, that He gave Him uh, a place to inhabit. Uh, He gave Him an occupation. He He had everything given to Him, Adam did. God took painstaking care to make sure that Adam had everything he would need. And if you're here today and you're lost and you say, well, the world just never seems to give me what I need, maybe you need a new head. (laughs) And I don't mean a physical head, I mean a spiritual head. Maybe you need to come to the realization, I'm under the headship of Adam, I need to be under the headship of Christ. How do I get there, Lord? But he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that word begotten is important because Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. That means he's the only man born of woman that was the Son of God, which was what Luke was trying to point out in his genealogy. And so here we get into this. And so that his only begotten son, that whosoever will, would believe in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, Jesus is a king. He is the authority that grants you something that if you go through history, they have sought it. All of humanity has sought everlasting life. And you may say, well, what do you mean? Look at a lot of the idols that were worshipped back in history. This time of year, we all put a tree in our house and we say, well, okay, it's just, it's just a tree. That's not the origins of it, though. I mean, all you have to do is go and read in the Old Testament for the origins of it. And he says, Ephraim, meaning Israel, which has been cut off and separated from God, shall say, what have I any more to do with idols? And I believe this is in... Oh, let me go over here. I just want to find it. I just, just out of, just out of sheer... Um, um, I'll get there. My brain's not working right now. I believe it's in Zechariah. Eh, let's just do this. Let's just find it this way. <clears throat> well, it doesn't want to pull it up. 
Uh, Ephraim shall say to himself, What have I any more to do with idols? For I have become a green fir tree. Why is it that they worship those green trees when you read in the Scriptures? Well, you need no look no further than the song O Tenenbaum. Because they had everlasting life. They were green in summer's glow and even green in winter's snow. They had everlasting life and so they worshiped them because of that. And so here we look at, uh, we look at the day and the age that we live in and you're in the same state that the, uh, that the prophet said that Ephraim would eventually find himself in. When he got saved, he could look and he could say, what have I to do anymore with idols? Because man tries to create anything and everything. Adam used fig leaves. Adam and Eve used fig leaves to try to cover their sins. Man tries to create anything that they can to hide and cover their sins to make some other head that they can observe. I just noticed the other day that in New Jersey, I didn't understand this. It's been a while. I didn't realize that in New Jersey, they had just built the second largest Hindu temple in the world. In the world. I hate to tell you, those statues are not going to take away your sin. Will not save your soul. There's only one that did that, and he suffered and died on the cross of Calvary that he might be the head, the spiritual head of your life. And so we're going to, we're going to close with this. <clears throat> and I thought I had this. <clears throat> uh, we're going to close with this verse right here. Now, I know I had this. Uh, yeah, I do. It's right here. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 3, But I would have you know the head of every man. This is every man that has been saved, that has been regenerated, that has been born again by the Spirit and the grace of God, that's had the blood of Christ applied to his heart, which washes away the sin of the world and makes you white as snow. Uh, he says, but I would have you to know that every uh, that the head of every man is Christ. So what was that order back in Genesis? Adam was the head of Eve. And who was the head of God? Uh, who was the head of Adam? God the Father. Or God. Nothing's changed other than the, who the headship lies in. But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. We've got a new head, don't we? He takes away the first that he may establish the second. And in Christ, all can be made alive. You may be here this morning. You may be dead in trespasses and in sins. But God sent Christ into the world. His advent into the world was so that the world would not be judged because it was already judged, but that the world might be saved. That's our message this morning. We hope you got a blessing out of it. Brother Williams, if you've got a song.